The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's Friday, everybody. We made it to the end of the week. What's happening, friends? And confidants, this is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Vespers, and this, of course, is brought to you by our buddies over at Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company as well. HawaiianIsles.com is the website, H-I Kona Coffee on Twitter, or you can check them out on Amazon by searching for Hawaiian Isles. I am at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Tried to keep that pretty simple. If you can spell it, you can find it. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Easy enough. Or just search for Dan from Hootball and you're all set from that aspect. It's Friday, so uh, we'll have our front end of the uh, weekend bookends here, taking Friday through Monday and sort of making sure everything ties together. So, for those joining us for the first time on a Friday, I should say, first Friday episode of the show, slash weekend episode... What we're going to be doing is taking a look back at Thursday, and I do have some things that I want to discuss from the short Thursday card. I usually, these are some interesting ball games. A few of them, at least, were uh, pretty interesting. I thought uh, we were able to pull a few things away from it. We also have the week in review segment of the show, where I'm going to go through all of the pickups, drops, watch list, hold, and streamer guys that uh, popped up or pop down, or whatever direction you think that they may have occurred this week, from Monday through Thursday. So that'll be basically a rehash of everything that we've gone over over the course of the week. And then we'll preview the weekend, get you set up for all three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, basically what we're going to be looking for from all 30 teams, as then we tie that into our Monday shows, which are the reverse chronological episodes. We go back and we say, well, what did we end up learning from all of those weekend games that we were preparing for? Obviously, I get sidetracked from time to time, so that'll probably pop up in there. But why don't we start by just taking a look back at Thursday? That, to me, will be the quickest. And then I say that, and I know I'm going to get derailed a little bit. But let's roll through Thursday. Then we'll look at the big weekend review, and then we'll preview the weekend. Philly fell asleep in Washington. I mean, how do you let this happen if you're the 76ers? I actually had really high hopes. I thought the Sixers were going to come out with something to prove this season. And remember, they did. That was a team that got off to a rip-roaring start to the year. I believe that they won their first seven games? No, that's not right. They beat the Celtics on opening night, the Pistons, the Hawks, the Wolves, the Blazers. Oh, they lost to the Suns, so they won their first five in a row. And since then, they've sort of leveled off a little bit. They are eight games over 500. The funny thing is they're 8-2 and in their last 10. It doesn't feel that way. They still haven't lost at home. They are 5-7 and on the road. That needs to change. These guys need to find a way to get over that road hurdle. You can always spot the teams that are going to have success in the postseason when you look at the clubs that win on the road. The Bucs are 10-2 and on the road. And it doesn't have to be the team at the very top of the conference either. I mean, obviously, it often is because the best teams win in both places. But, for instance, as a point of reference, the Raptors are 6-4 and four on the road, where the 76ers are 5-7. and seven. Two over versus two under. Heat are a game over. Celtics are two games over on the road. Lakers are 10-1 and one on the road. Nuggets, 6-2. and two. Mavs, 8-2 and two on the road. Timberwolves are actually way better on the road than they are at home. I can't explain that one, so we'll just throw that into our back pocket. In any event... Uh, nothing super interesting on the Philly side. Tobias Harris took a boatload of shots because everybody else was sort of napping in this ball game. Joel Embiid had eight turnovers. Ben Simmons has seven. And Tobias was like, all right, I guess this is my day. And uh, he put a lot of points into the box score. He made a lot of the hoopage. Matisse Thibault played 31 minutes. Furkan Korkmaz got just 19 in this ball game. But of course, all of that is predicated on Josh Richardson being out. So if Thibault either gets the starting job or they consistently give him the lion's share of the run at that shooting guard position, well, then obviously that changes a little bit. Uh, But as for right now, he and Korkmaz are in a little bit of a hot hand thing, and so you can keep Thibault most likely on the waiver wire unless you're expecting something crazy to go down. The Washington side I thought was more interesting in this game. 
Uh, Mo Wagner came back from his ankle injury just in time to face Joel Embiid. And by all accounts, you could probably call this a small victory for Wagner. He didn't foul out. That's a big deal. He didn't have a great performance in the ballgame going up against one of the toughest centers in the NBA. And, you know, Embiid did have a 2020 game despite all of his issues with free throws and turnovers. Uh, but Wagner had 11 rebounds, which I thought was a really good sign. That means that he's going to be aggressive on the boards. Only five points. He only took six shots. So the usage was was much lower, and that was basically to be expected when you slot him in with starters, a better selection of guys and guys that are more inclined to shoot around him. Rui Hachimura, uh, among the starters, took a bunch of shots. Ish Smith actually took a bunch of shots, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but on the Wagner front, to me, this is a prime example of a guy that didn't put up a fantastic line in his first start, but is a no-brainer, must-start guy going forward. I mean, there is just there is zero question, zero, that he needs to be thrown into lineups. This is basically as bad as it's going to get. That's not necessarily true. He could have a game where he gets into foul trouble. But if you're looking at 25 minutes, if that's really the target for him, 25, 26, look at some of his game logs on nights where he got 25 or 26 minutes. They are not insignificant performances. The down games from Wagner, not unexpectedly, are, are the ones where he's playing 13, 14 minutes. And even in some of those, he's actually been good enough. But if you look at his season, November 2nd, he played 28 minutes in a loss to Minnesota with 14 points, 5 boards, 2 steals. 6 out of 9 shooting made both of his free throws. The 15th, also against Minnesota, oddly enough. He had 30 and 15. That's not going to stick. But perfect 4 for 4 from downtown. He shot 13 out of 15 from the field. Missed his free throws in an odd twist. He's actually a very good foul shooter. A steal and a block. Next time, he cleared 25 minutes. Was it against San Antonio, a win on the 20th of November. 13, 6, and 3 with three three-pointers. No defensive stats in that one. That's okay. We'll forgive him. 25 minutes at Denver, I believe... I actually don't remember what happened in that ballgame. I think Ryan might have been in a foul trouble. 14-2-3 with a steal and a three-pointer in what you'd call a down game, but he did go 6-8 of eight from the field. And then the last one against Philadelphia, 26 minutes, coming back from the ankle thing, 5-11, and 11, assist a steal, missed his four three-pointers. If any of those go in, you're talking about a very different ballgame. Simple fact is, when he gets his 25 minutes, he's been great. He's been much more in that top 80, top 75 range as opposed to top 100. And I don't know how long Thomas Bryant's going to be out, but Wagner looks like a great fill-in opportunity here. And a guy that might actually still hold value even when Bryant comes back, because they'll probably go easy on him. Davis Bertans hit seven three-pointers in this game. He actually made six out of six in the first half, cooled off after the break, not surprisingly. That tends to happen with guys that go nuts in one half of a basketball game. And Rui Hachimura took 18 shots and scored 27 points. Those two guys each have seen a really nice bump with Thomas Bryant out. There's just more shots and more available usage for front court guys. I mean, Bryant was playing high 20s, low 30s minutes most ball games this year, with some exceptions mixed in, foul trouble, blah, blah, blah. And he averages, I think, around 28, 29 on the season. That's a lot. He was taking 10 shots, which isn't a ton, but when you look at the guys that are going to pick them up, it's going to be, you know, a few more for Wagner, a few more for Davis, a few more for Hachimura. If you just split it among those three guys, you're talking about three and change extra shots apiece. That's not a little thing. For Hachimura, we know he has fantasy limitations. Scores, rebounds, that's pretty much it. But if you can get the volume up real high, because the field goal percent has actually been pretty good for him so far this year, if you can get the volume up, where the percentages actually become a little bit more of a positive impact, he'll, he should be, I think, inside the top 100 during this stretch with minimal other centers floating around. He's been really good, basically, lately, since the centers started getting hurt. Since Wagner went down, his opportunity went up, and then Bryant went down, his opportunity went way up. Then he played 43 minutes yesterday. He scored 16, 30, 15, and 27. He's shooting 49.5% on the year at 86 the free throw line. So just give him more volume, and he goes from being a top 140 kind of guy to a top 100, top 90. I do think his role probably diminishes a tad when, if or when Bryant comes back. But he's also a guy that I have expressed was over-owned prior to these injuries because his numbers were not supporting fantasy value. 
will do more as the season goes on, as their prized rookie, but gets an early shot at it. So I think people that owned him too early are going to see a little bit of luck in this particular case because he just sort of lucked into more opportunity. Cool, that's fine. But if he happens to be on the waiver wire, he's a guy that moves across the cut line with all of this going on. The other stuff in Washington is the Isaiah Thomas uh, injury, whatever it turns out to be. He sat this one out. We don't know if this is going to be multiple games or if it was just them being careful with a back-to-back. But if he's going to be out for a week or two, Ish Smith moves into a dominant point guard role. He's not going to hit many three-pointers, although he did hit two yesterday. But there's going to be, and we know his his shtick, but if he gets full starters minutes, there's probably enough there in the assist department, and he shoots the ball okay since he generally doesn't take three-pointers these days, that he should probably be streamed. So keep an eye out on the Isaiah Thomas injury report. Ish Smith could get a little bit of breathing room here. Denver, New York was not an interesting ball game. Denver won by 37. Yuck. I think you can basically junk this thing. It was nice to see Mitchell Robinson play 30 minutes and not pick up a foul. That was a good thing. Missed some free throws, but that's bound to happen. How horrible has Julius Randle been? Good Lord. I mean, I know we can throw this thing out, but geez. Let's just move along. Houston at Toronto. The Rockets... They got help from a lot of interesting sources in this game. Ben McLemore scored 28. P.J. Tucker had 18 and 11. My buddy Daniel House came back from injury and was gangbusters in the first half. He scored 14 points in six minutes, and then he scored two points in his next 20 minutes. He looked like a guy coming back from a long illness where he had a bunch of energy and then probably coughed himself into a fit and sort of ran out of gas. Uh, He'll be great. I think he'll probably be starting soon. If not, he's still going to see plenty of playing time. In this one, Macklemore got hot, so they sort of rode that for a few extra minutes. I am not even the tiniest bit concerned about Daniel House. He and P.J. Tucker remain a couple of my favorites in the fantasy landscape. On the Ben Macklemore front, Austin Rivers, by the way, also played 27 and a half minutes in this game. They really went to the the traditional Mike D'Antoni short bench thing basically just played seven guys a crap load of minutes ah the dan tony way uh austin rivers is not even close to a pickup ben mclemore is close he's played well he's played well particularly with house out but he managed to play well again with house back in the lineup he's hit 17 threes in his last three ball games but he is just not trustworthy because and this is a very important footnote He doesn't do anything besides shoot three-pointers. Literally nothing else. He's shooting 38.5% on the year. He's making 2.2 threes per game, even after this 17-3 game stretch. He's fine at the free throw line, but he doesn't really get there. And then he's averaging nine points, two boards, and an assist. In 21 minutes, it's not like that's eight minutes on the court. So even if you extrapolate that to 30 minutes and assume the per-minute stuff doesn't take a hit as he plays more, you're still talking about, like, 13, 3, and 1.5. And Not enough. Not enough unless he's averaging three or th- more three-pointers per game, and then you basically got Duncan Robinson with a worse field goal percent. So no, I'm not jumping on that one yet. He is on the watch list. You can throw him on your watch list, uh, but yeah, I mean, you need to see him go crazy a few more games, or really, again, just do anything at all besides hitting three-pointers. Toronto, they're looking a little bit more like they were before a bunch of injuries. The return of various starters slash higher role guys has definitely put an odd dent into their rhythm as a team. Serge Ibaka only played 17 minutes, but his usage was crazy high, so you're holding on to him because all he needs is about 22 minutes to have fantasy value, and he was doing that before he got hurt. Uh, OG Ananobi only played 23 minutes in this game. He ended up splitting a lot of time with Norman Powell. Terrence Davis is still seeing some playing time, so that sort of chops into the wing minutes as well. Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, Freddie Van Fleet, those guys will all be fine in whatever capacity they are looking like. Marcus Sowell had a weird six defensive stat game. That's going to make everybody go ooh and ah, but... He's also still outside the top 150 on the year because generally he's done nothing. He's been completely invisible this season. He's averaging 6, 6, and 3, which for me, I mean, normally I look at that, I'm like, oh, great, Pat Beverly. Uh, But it's not like he's hitting a bunch of three-pointers. His field goal percent is 
obscenely low, although he has shot 50% over the last three games. He's way over-owned on name value alone, and after this ball game, no one's going to drop him, but he's, he's hurt you more than he's helped to this point. So I'm totally fine with either benching or dropping Marcus All One game with a bunch of defensive stats doesn't really change that for me. And again, he took only four shots in 30 minutes, which is fine for the Raptors, but not great for your fantasy team. Phoenix beat New Orleans in overtime. Overtime. This was a fun one. Pelicans are pretty upset that they lost this ballgame. Had it in their clutches. Let it slip away. Devin Booker had 44. He went big. Ricky Rubio had 15 assists, 4 steals, and a block. He went big. Kelly Oubre missed some free throws and some field goal attempts, but had 7 defensive stats, 3 steals, and 4 blocks. I love it. And Frank Kaminsky scored 20. Cam Johnson at 18. Here's the thing. By the way, Dario Saric was terrible again. And, he, you know, we've been talking about him all season long as a guy that's been, like, right on the cusp of droppable. And then every time you're like, ah, I'm just going to punt him and not worry about it. Then he has a game that you're like, I guess I better hold on a little bit. At some point, there's going to be more than one guy standing in his way. The reason that Saric has been able to hold on to value at the very edge of 12-team, 9-category leagues is because for basically the entire season... There's only been one center standing between him and decent big man fantasy stats. He's averaging 11 and 7 this year. And he's going to hit good free throw numbers. That's part of his his deal as well. When DeAndre Ayton comes back, then there are going to be two centers standing between Sarge and Value. Ayton and Baines. The center minutes basically evaporate. The way he's been able to maintain Value is by sliding over and playing minutes at the 5. The reason he's had two bad games in a row is because Frank Kaminsky's taken those minutes. I mean, that's not even a guy that's supposed to be in front of Dario in the pecking order, but he outplayed him, and so here we are. The good games for Sharch are the ones where Kaminsky isn't playing much. Dario can play the five. He can rack up rebounds in addition to some threes, and, you know, when you're a center, you sort of, you sort of fall butt first into a block every now and again. But when he's playing the four, his value takes a traditional nosedive into the ground from 15,000 feet boom straight to the deck so I don't really want to deal with Dario I get it if you guys want to ride the ups and the downs but DeAndre Ayton's back in five games I think or less is it less I think it's five um Aaron Baines could be back any game calf stuff is weird so he might even come back after so you're looking here at about a week left of maybe Dario Scharch being good enough to use. I'd rather not. Frank Kaminsky, I don't want anything to do with. You know, even when he has good games, you see these holes. They, they, they're screaming at you in his fantasy game. And then with Cam Johnson, you know, every once in a while he's going to see some extra minutes. Sometimes it'll be Mikhail Bridges. Sometimes it'll, they'll go big and they'll throw those minutes to Scharch. When these guys get healthy, when they get their two centers back, you're going to see all of these minutes getting squeezed down the pecking order. So then you're going to be looking at Booker, Rubio, Ubre, Ayton. And the one question mark for me is, can Aaron Baines still have value as the backup center? I'm inclined to think maybe, but also at the same time, I don't know how they play Ayton and Baines at the same time ever. So you're looking at 20 minutes max for Aaron Baines in that spot. That, that's, a tough, that's a tough hoop to leap through. The New Orleans side, man, they need a center that can rebound. I mean, real bad. I know Jackson A's had five blocks, and so you look at that game and you're like, hot damn! But someone's got to get a damn rebound. The gang rebounding thing is is wonderful, uh, but the fact that Kelly Oubre had 15 for Phoenix tells you everything you know about the Pelicans' need for Derek Favors, who hopefully will be back for the next one. I have to, at this point, assume he's getting close. As I've mentioned before, grieving is a weird and unpredictable process, but at least he's most likely healthy now when he comes back, if perhaps a little bit uh, out of condition. But maybe this absence, from a physical standpoint, maybe it ends up helping him a little bit. Obviously, emotionally, that's a, a very different story altogether. I, I mean, I think New Orleans wins this game if they have someone out there that can fend Phoenix off the glass a little bit. I think they got out rebounded by 11. That's brutal, man. 
out-rebounded by 11. There was a point in the second quarter where everybody was making every shot, and I think the Pelicans had nine rebounds like halfway through the second quarter as a team. In any event, uh, Josh Hart is still a hold for me. I know he only played 21 minutes in this game, and the improved play of J.J. Redick, it has indeed come at his expense. Uh, Kenrich Williams is still seeing some minutes, obviously not enough for fantasy value, but enough to sort of push Josh Hart down a little bit. I think there will be plenty of games where Reddick sees four or five minutes less than this, and Hart gets those. You might see some games where Lonzo Ball doesn't play 43 minutes. Injury-prone Lonzo Ball, not a great idea there. I know it was overtime, but we we have to be judicious somehow. Uh, so I, I'm not punting on Hart yet. He was really good to start the year. He might not be 100% healthy. And, I mean, he still had two threes. He'll usually get you a steal or two. So don't abandon ship on him yet. If you do, I'm picking him up. I, he's not my favorite. You know, he's coming off the bench, and obviously the starters get the initial nod. Ingram, Redick, Ball, Holiday. But Hart is the fifth wing slash guard on this team that you want to look at. And then I think Derek Favors, if he is indeed back soon... Uh, should be able to carve out a very nice role up front. And we're hearing that Zion Williamson might not be back on time anyway. I want to segue from the Thursday stuff into the weekend review stuff because th- there is a, a decent amount of overlap in, with some of the names that uh, that we had just referred to. Um, but before I do, I want to remind everybody that on Monday... This is my reminder to you guys. On Monday, the next episode of the Bruise Letter comes out. The straight-to-your-inbox, email-only content from the great Aaron Bruski. Email-only. There is no other place that you can get this stuff. It's not on HoopBall. It's not on Twitter. It's not in a podcast. It's nowhere else. It's only in the HoopBall Weekly Newsletter. The Bruise Letter. You can sign up by going to hoop-ball.com slash newsletter and filling out the five-second form. You put your email and your name in there. Uh, You can also sign up using the pop tab. If you just go to hoop-ball.com, go to our website, HoopBall, and at the bottom of the screen, a little orange pop-up tab is going to come about 20% of the way into your view. It's not an actual pop-up window. And it'll just say, hey, do you want to subscribe? You can fill it in down there, and that'll take care of it. So two different ways to get on the Bruise Letter mailing list. Do it. Again, the new edition, what is that, Volume 7, comes out first thing on Monday morning. So this is my last opportunity to remind you to get on that bad boy before the weekend expires. There are literally thousands of people receiving this newsletter. If you're not one of them, they have an edge on you. So get on that right now, hoop-ball.com slash newsletter, or just go to hoop-ball.com and use the pop-up tab at the bottom of the screen. Week in review. Let's start with pickups. That's always the most fun, right? Mo Wagner, Rui Hachimura, Davis Bertans. We already talked about these guys because we just covered the Thursday card. Davis, by the way, should have been owned already. He's like, He's not even remotely close to a guy that should be getting picked up. He's inside the top 40 people on 3.73s a game on good percentages. Inside, I repeat, the top 40. He's been brilliant. Um, He was fringy to start the year. We weren't sure that he would get this type of run, but he is absolutely getting it. And now with Thomas Bryant out, it's really opened things up. He's seeing some of those 28 minutes that Bryant left behind. Uh, so that one, I, I don't know why, why I got sidetracked there. That was basically just me saying he should have already been on a team anyway. Uh, Derek Favors is the other one that that comes from the the Thursday slate. So we've already talked about those four guys as, as pickups for this week. I want to go to the Miami Heat as some of my pickups of the week. Kelly Olynyk and Duncan Robinson, who are both vastly under-owned in fantasy formats. Olynyk who's been very good after a painfully slow start to the year. Remember like five weeks ago when we thought Myers Leonard might have taken his job? Well, no. Uh, outside of the weird six-minute game in Brooklyn with no explanation, Olenek has been spectacular over the last 30 days. Uh, he's definitely inside the top 100 over that stretch. He's been rolling at a top 90 clip for multiple weeks in a row. There's no reason to abandon a guy that's played that well. He's more like an eighth or a ninth man on fantasy teams And again, barring these weird disappearing acts, if you yank that one game out, then you're talking about a top 80 guy over that stretch. 
Uh, one big goose egg, obviously you can't pull it out. It happened. And I'll say this, I think his steals and blocks numbers could actually be better over the last month. To me, they've been low by Olympic standards. Duncan Robinson is the other heat I have as one of my pickups for this week. He's actually number 96 in nine category leagues right now, and he's only owned in 27% uh, of leagues overall. Yes, he is very specialized. He's like a poor man's Davis Bertans. He's hitting 2.9 three-pointers per game on good percentages. Doesn't really ever get to the free throw line, and that's fine. You don't expect that from an outside shooter. Uh, had three steals in his last ball game, but in general doesn't get defensive stats. So this is all about having a guy that can bomb in threes without tanking your field goal percent because he's basically only shooting when he's wide the bleep open. But look, on the season, he's inside the top 100. Over the last month, he's number 84. And the thought is, at some point, the Heat might get healthy and wedge him out. But to this point, they haven't been. Someone's been out all the time. Goran Dragic is out for a couple weeks now. Justice Winslow missed a couple of weeks. Are they ever going to all be there at the same time? If that does happen, I might be inclined to take Duncan Robinson and sit him on my bench a little bit. But if you're in any format where you need three-pointers and don't want your percentages getting clowned, He's a great ad. He's actually number 73 by totals because he's been one of the only Heat to not get hurt this year. Wild stuff, isn't it? I know. I know. Wouldn't have expected that. Uh, DeAnthony Melton is an ad until uh, Ja Morant comes back. I do think that Ja's return is going to push all of the uh, extra point guardy types outside of the fantasy cut line, but we don't know exactly when that's going to be. Melton started the second half in their last game over Tyus Jones, and he feels like a very safe stream. If you want to call him that, he's like a luxury. He's a, an upgraded streamer right now because his numbers are outstanding. Uh, he's been playing well. Rebounds, assists, steals, not going to hit many three-pointers. Uh, he always is going to get a ton of steals for you, and uh, he deserves to be played at least until Morant comes back. We're going to venture to Chicago for a couple of uh, pickups over the course of this week. I think Chris Dunn, actually has made himself a pickup. I don't know if it's going to stick. I don't know if he's going to put up big enough numbers as a starter, but his minutes are definitely higher. He's always a big-time steals guy, and if he can fall into some assists as a starting point guard and score, you know, 8 to 10 points and grab you his usual four rebounds, which he rebounds pretty well for a point guard as well, that would be enough. There isn't quite the upside of some of the other guys on this list, namely his teammate, Tomas Sadoransky, who I keep putting on my pickup list because for some reason he's still not owned in all leagues. There's just no reason for this. He's inside the top 100 on the year after that slow start. He's number 75 over the last month. I mean, what are we doing here at this point? 75 for a month, guys. But I'm, I'm going to put Chris Dunn on that list with him as the lower upside point guard. Uh, particularly if you need assists and steals. That's where he comes through. Jared Culver's on my pickup list, although uh, I, I struggle to throw him into my lineup immediately. This is really an upside play. He's not going to hit a ton of three-pointers. He will get you defensive stats. He will get rebounds and assists. He will score a few points. And he'll do it on relatively low turnovers, but... He's shooting 37% from the field and 43% at the free throw line. That's after, by the way, making both of his free throws in that last ball game. So I don't know what the hell's going on with this kid's stroke. You can call it rookie jitters. I, I don't know. I mean, 43% at the foul line is not, that's not an aberration. That's something crazy going on. But if he ever gets that stuff sorted out, even one of the two, would get the job done for Culver. He doesn't even need to fix both field goal and free throw percent. He just needs one out of the two to not be horrific, particularly free throw. Let's get free throw fixed because, you know, you're a, you're a shooting guard, man. Let's, uh, let's get a free throw to go in the hoop. But there is large potential upside with Culver. So uh, to that end, he should be on a team. It doesn't seem like the Timberwolves are considering moving him back to the bench. 
I think they like what he's bringing to the starting unit. I think they like Jeff Teague running the second unit. I don't think they feel like they need Teague in the starting unit because Andrew Wiggins can play a little bit of point there. And Carl Anthony Towns, a lot of the offense is going to run through their big man as well. So he's a luxury. He's not a luxury stash because he's playing. But there is a luxury benching element to it. And the last name I'm going to put on the pickup list is once again Carmelo Anthony because I think this is kind of amazing. Uh, he's been able to stay above water. He's number 131 in 9-cat, despite that first game where he only logged 24 minutes. Uh, over the last week, he's number 69, while still only shooting 44%. So there's been enough from him. Good foul shooting. He's never been the greatest free-throw shooter in the world. He's always been pretty darn good, like low 80s. So that does help you if somehow... Things were weird the last couple of seasons. His free throw number was way below his career mark. I think he was mentally not in a good spot. He does seem like he's mentally in a better place now with Portland. As I said last week, I really didn't want to put him on the nine-cat list, but I kind of have no choice because if he really is going to play 35 minutes a night, and it looks like he might, uh, he's going to get plenty of shots. So the volume is there. And if he can keep his field goal percent at 44, then he's not killing you in the way that a 41 or 42 might. It seems small, but it's actually a really big deal. He shot 40.5% each of the last two seasons. Admittedly, one of them was only 10 games with Houston. But if he gets back up near his career mark of 44-45, then he's not tanking your field goal percent, even if the volume is a little bit higher. And he becomes helpful in free throw. He's going to rebound, because the only guy they have on that team is Hassan Whiteside. No defensive stats, minimal three-pointers. So it really has to be about rebounds and scoring with him. That's why I still like him better as a points league guy. But the good foul shooting and low turnovers have been enough, actually, to get him over the line in 9-cat somehow. So throw him in there. We'll do the other categories a little bit quicker than pickups. I think those require uh, some more explanation. Frank Nilakina's on the drop list, but he wasn't really useful anyway. Toronto's replacements, namely Norman Powell, Chris Boucher, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, those guys are all drops with the starters back in the mix. Uh, Marc Gasol, who we talked about already, uh, and I did give a more uh, reasonable explanation, I think, on that when we were talking about the Thursday games. I, I know he had a big defensive game yesterday, and I know that there have been a few decent ones mixed in there. If you want to hold on, I'm not going to kill you. He's looked a little bit better over the last three, but I still, I mean, as this team gets healthy, that also takes any, even the tiniest little bit of usage from him. If, like, if he goes from eight to, or ten to eight, or something like that, I, there's just, you have to do something on the offensive end. You have to do something, especially if your field goal percent is so bad. Frank Kaminsky, Dario Sharich, already talked about those guys. Kenrich Williams, already talked about him. Now we go back a little bit farther from Thursday, uh, Mo Bamba and Kem Birch are both drops for me. I, I know that Bamba has chimed in with a couple of good ball games, blended in with the bad ones, and, and lately that's been enough to float him. You know, he had that 6-12 and 12 game with five defensive stats. He had the five three-pointer game. Then he had two blocks. He's been blocking shots, but his minutes are so crazy low that I just can't get on board with starting him. He's so difficult to use in 17 minutes a game. His minutes haven't changed that much, even with Vooch out. They're up like four. Cam Birch took all the minutes, and he's not doing anything fantasy cool with them. He's playing closer to 30 a game, and all he's doing is rebounding with not good percentages. I don't know how the Magic have decided that this is the way to go. Uh... Despite playing almost 30 minutes a game, Kem Birch still sits outside the top 100. That's also despite getting a steal and one and a half blocks because a couple games in there, he managed to collect a few defensive stats. He's a stream at best, and he's a risky stream at best because he's not a terrific foul shooter. He's only rebounding, and if he doesn't get the defensive stats, it's just rebounds. The percentage isn't high enough. You might as well just stream someone like DeAndre Jordan in that spot. So I'm okay with dropping both of those guys. I know we haven't had an update on Vooch in uh, a couple of days, but apparently he's progressing, uh, I don't know, my, probably like two weeks away would be a decent guess. Eh. As I speak about it, I'm like, you know what, you can probably use Kem Birch. You can 
you can probably stream him. Uh, I don't really much care for either of those guys. They've both been close to fantasy relevant. If if somehow the minutes were to dip a little, like if Birch went down to 24, he'd be an obvious drop, and then Bamba would be the obvious get. But right now, they've managed... So Orlando has somehow managed to split the minutes in a way that puts both guys right on the cusp, with Birch playing like 28 and Bamba 18-ish or something like that. I don't think they've played... I don't think they've matched up to play every center minute to this point. But if they have, it's like 28 and 20 or like 29 and 19. If you could just get Bamba two or three more minutes, he'd be an obvious add. If you could get Birch down a couple minutes, he'd be a more obvious drop. As it stands, they're both sort of right on the edge. I put him in the drop category because I just don't really feel like dealing with it. So what? So you missed two weeks of streaming these guys. Uh, all the Warriors backups I'm putting on the drop list because this is a stretch out without any back-to-backs for the dubs. So Draymond Green's going to play most of these games, even in his limited minutes. D'Angelo Russell's probably going to play in them. They're slowly ramping up Kevon Looney. I-, I'm, I mean, these guys all needed huge volume to get to the 100 mark. Alec Burks in particular, Eric Pascal, all these guys. They need a bunch of shots. And so as those decrease... Their value plummets. I want nothing to do with these guys. I put P.J. Washington on my drop list, which I know is a little bit controversial, but he's been trending down real hard. He's number 107 on the season. He's number 134 over the last month. He's number 136 over the last half month and number 150 over the last week. I know everybody's like, well, there's a lot of room there. Yeah, I mean, I know he's still playing close to 30 minutes on average, but it's bouncing around. The usage is gone. He's barely doing anything on the offensive end. The steals and blocks have completely evaporated after he collected quite a few, actually, early in the season. You know, he was averaging like one and one for the first three weeks or something like that. Over the last three games, he has a total of one and one. The assists are not going to be that high, so it's not like he can float you there. Rebounds are not that high, even from the forward spot. Threes are not that high. He's a bad foul shooter. I don't really see what the massive upside is here when this team is healthy. They need guys to disappear to get him back on the radar, at least for me. Uh, Bismack Biombo and Cody Zeller, I'm both putting in the drop department. I don't think that either one of those guys is going to do enough. I think that Bismack now played his way into more minutes. So Zeller coming off the bench and just gunning it for 20 minutes a game, combining with Bismack, who's getting the starts right now and playing his, you know, 20-ish minutes a game. That's that's not enough for either of them. I'm dropping all the centers on Boston, but I don't think I need to give you an explanation for that one. When three guys are all vying for minutes, it's impossible to get a read on any of them. And in Memphis, I'm dropping both Dylan Brooks and Tyus Jones. Although, again, this is a lot of rehash stuff. Brooks, I think I put you I put on my drop list uh, last week. The, he needs to score to be at all fantasy relevant. Uh, so in nine cat, that's not going to do it especially with his 39% shooting, yeesh. If you're not punting field goal percent, he's basically an auto drop. If you are, I guess maybe there's... Ah, I guess he could probably slide in. High volume, 39%. You pull that out, his ranking obviously goes up a little bit. And then Tyus Jones, who had first crack at the backup point guard job, but just didn't really do anything. I think he's a drop. I know he's still getting added because he's getting starts, but even when he played 31 minutes, he only had 2, 3, and 6. I'd rather have uh, Chris Dunn for those exact types of stat lines, but getting there a little faster and with more steals. Just Minnesota Timberwolves backup point guards floating all over the NBA these days. My watch list has Matisse Thybulle on it, but I'm not doing anything on that front. And Christian Wood is also a guy that I'm watching and not doing anything with. Uh, Ish Smith, that one could be a move if we find out IT has to miss more than one or two games. Alfred Payton, put him on your watch list. Remember, he won that point guard job right out of the shoot this year, had a handful of really nice ball games right out of the shoot as well, got added everywhere. I mean, look at his first two or three games, actually, this year. Uh, first three. Let's go first three um, because he got hurt in the fourth one. 11 points, 8 assists, 5 steals in their first one. 10-4-2 with a couple of threes in the second game. Eight, four, and five with four steals and two threes in the third game. And he averaged about 27 minutes over those three contests. If he works his way back up to 27 minutes and the starting point guard job, 
The steals and assists could be enough to actually get him over the cut line. So definitely keep a close watch on Alfred Payton. I don't think he's going to get added in a ton of spots after the relatively pedestrian first game back he put up yesterday. Played 11 minutes at 4-2-2 two, and two with four turnovers. Ugly. Uh, but he's going to be available. He's only 10% owned in Yahoo League. So keep a very close watch on Alfred Payton in case things get turned around for him here quickly. I mean, you might know by their next ball game, which is tomorrow. Something we'll be watching for over the weekend. Uh, ben McLemore is on my watch list. If he really does settle into a high-minute, high-usage role, then I guess I could change him to an ad, but not yet. Damian Jones is on my watch list. He was a guy that we talked about two weeks ago on this pod as someone I was like, look, if, why didn't Atlanta just give this dude 25 minutes as the starting center? Well, they finally did in that last ball game, and he was great. But he also has almost no time to actually put the pieces together. John Collins is coming back. He'll be taking a ton of those front court minutes, and then it's just going to be a weird grab bag of everybody behind him. So much as I'd love to say, now is the time, now is the place, it's not. Uh, basically, everyone on the Mavericks is on my watch list. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., I think you're probably still holding on to because he's starting and getting some looks from three land. DeLon Wright is going to be perpetually there. Same with Dwight Powell, who did have a good game, but also hurt his arm. There's been no consistency with these guys, and that makes any of them really hard to hold. Tim Hardaway has been the closest because, again, at least he's seeing the minutes on a night-to-night basis. Uh, but I have no problem if you guys decide you just want to bail on all of them. No problem with that. And then for the Lakers, JaVale McGee and Rajon Rondo, I, I, I almost vowed that I wasn't going to put Rondo on any list ever, but he looked great, actually, in that game against Utah in particular. He was the fastest man on the floor for stretches. Blew my mind. And so the Lakers ran him out there for 32 minutes. I don't think that that happens particularly often, especially when Avery Bradley's back because they're going to want the defense. But they like Rondo coming off the bench and sort of running the unit when LeBron is not on the floor. So for at least those 13 to 14 minutes, Rajon Rondo has the reins. The question is, what happens other times? Can, they, can he coexist with LeBron? Can he, is there any reason to play him if LeBron is on the floor? And he gave some reasons in that game against Utah, so he's on my watch list. I mean, we know his shortcomings. He's not going to shoot the ball well. Uh, his three-point stroke has actually gotten a little bit better lately. He doesn't get any credit for that, which is fine because he was really bad for a long time. But he's actually shooting, he's at 50% for the year. That'll, that won't hold. But he was at 36% last season, which isn't terrible. But the question is, you know, last year he was at 9-8 and eight with five rebounds, and that was barely enough for fantasy value in 29 minutes a game. I don't know how he gets back up to that without playing a massive load of minutes. So that's why he's on my watch list. And then JaVale McGee, I mean, he's always going to be there because he can do stuff real fast. He only needs 17, 18 minutes to be a fantasy value guy. But he's not getting that every night. He's really more of a streamer, I think, at this point. I could probably throw him into the stream category with Terrence Ross and Garrett Temple. Uh, my hold guys, Serge Ibaka, you're holding him until he gets back up to speed. Josh Hart, you're holding him because he was too good when he was playing early this year. Markel Fultz is a hold until we see what happens after Vooch comes back. If he loses his extra usage and playmaking, then you could probably bail on it. Kevon Looney is a hold. He was out for a long time, and they're very carefully working him back into the mix. I'm holding both of the uh, playmaking guards in Detroit, Derek Rose and Luke Kennard. We have no idea when Reggie Jackson's coming back or if that'll even impact anything. And I don't know. I got to think Blake Griffin misses some time here again soon. Jay Crowder remains a hold, if but barely, and then Jeff Teague is also a hold. I know he's trending down, uh, but he fits a certain particular stat set need, and I do think his field goal percent should actually regress upwards a little bit. He's at 40%. It's about 5% below his career mark. Uh, it's not like he's taking a bunch of three-pointers. His shot selection hasn't changed all that much. Is he just getting older, or is he trying to feel things out on this team? Uh, I think he should improve. And, you know, he's still actually getting quite a few assists every game, which is not an easy stat to come by. So he's staying on my hold list for now. We've seen him do it too many times. The demotion isn't great, but it also means that he can just go buck wild with the second unit when he sort of finds his place there. And finally, let's get ourselves prepared for the weekend. It's time to look ahead to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the games 
Uh, every game from every team, basically, will get you ready. Ten games coming up tonight, Friday, Indiana-Detroit. Not a whole lot to watch in these two uh, systems. We have a good idea of what's going on there. Brooklyn-Charlotte, same kind of thing. You can watch P.J. Washington to see if he can find his way back to fantasy value, but I'm not holding my breath. Orlando, we were talking about faults and basically the injury stuff, uh, but again, not a ton to keep track of with that team. Cleveland, something that I'm watching for Cleveland, and it's not happening yet, but I do think it'll happen as the season progresses. Jordan Clarkson, I have to think, is on the trade block. There's no reason for them to have someone like that, uh, if not just to sort of keep them in games a little bit coming off the bench. But Darius Garland's role should slowly increase. Now, his fantasy value is terrible. Truly awful. He's shooting 38% from the field uh, on decent volume already. He's already playing 28 minutes a game, so he's far from 9-cat numbers. But what if he starts to settle in? What if he does get those mid-30s minutes every game? What if Kevin Love gets moved or benched? And what if they're just like, hey, you and Colin Sexton go freaking nuts? Where do they have to get to in the field goal percent department to outweigh the negatives? We're still a long way from that, but something to just sort of put on the way out in the distance radar. Minnesota, Oklahoma City, uh, obviously we're watching the Timberwolves. Jarrett Culver, the percentages there, Jeff Teague off the bench, those are the two things to monitor with that ball club. Oklahoma City, we're pretty set on. Washington, Mo Wagner here, not now playing against Joel Embiid. He's going to have... Uh, Bam Adebayo or Myers Leonard, which should be a little bit of an easier task, at least defensively. Not sure that he gets great looks on the offensive side against those guys, but you know, at least he's not dealing with Embiid every possession down at one end of the floor. Isaiah Thomas's health is something to monitor, so Ish Smith falls into the watch list category, and then of course Rui and Davis and, and how they've taken a step forward. For Miami, Olinick and Duncan Robinson. These are guys that I'm I think can actually maintain value. For Robinson, it might be because there's a guard out every single game. Uh, or maybe he's just carved out a role on this team now. I don't know, but you might as well just get in on the fun. And then with Olinick, because he's coming off the bench and the minutes fluctuate a little bit, there's a, there's a nervous aspect to it. I think it's almost better to just check the box score at the end of the night with him because it'll freak you out if you're waiting for him to get into the ballgame. Denver, come on, Jokic. It's time. Do something. Uh, he's got to get into shape, man. Boston, nothing there. Uh, Gordon Hayward sounds like he's not that far away, so that's pretty good news. For the Warriors, we've heard it sounds like everybody's playing, so what I'm watching here is basically minutes for Kevon Looney because I don't know that anybody else is good enough to hold value. This should be a nice opportunity for them to score some points against Chicago, but even if Alec Burks has a good game here, I don't know there's enough for him with D'Angelo Russell playing. And for Pascal, I don't know if there's enough there with Looney and Draymond both playing. These regulars are going to chew up the usage that the backups were getting, which, again, they needed all of to get to top 100. That's where they were hovering. So I'm basically out, but we'll obviously keep an eye on it. Uh, Chicago, Chris Dunn in the starting lineup still. We'll find out shortly. That's something I like if he is. Seems like he's playing better with Laurie Markkinen as well. Clippers, nothing there. Bucks, also nothing really. Sacramento, uh, doesn't sound like Marvin Bagley's back yet, but you can start to prep for that madness. Spurs, it's always something. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge, we'll see if he's playing in this ball game. He's missed a couple with a thigh deal. I mentioned it repeatedly on these pods that they play three times over 13 days, so they could rest him for this one, and I think he'd get another, like, three or four days off. That may have been the plan from the outset. They stole one from Houston, so they sort of survived the benching of LaMarcus. Not benching, the resting of LaMarcus. Maybe they do it again and just see if they can steal one more. And then, of course, we're always watching the point guard situation. Derek White, DeJounte Murray, what the hell happens next? Lakers, we'll keep an eye on Rondo. We'll keep an eye on JaVale McGee. Blazers, it's basically mellow. That's all you're paying attention to at this point. Can he stay above water? New Orleans at Dallas on Saturday. We're watching everybody on Dallas besides the main two. Can anyone maintain consistency? Derek Favors, potential return day for the Pelicans. That would make things interesting. Josh Hart is on the watch list as well. Not a whole lot to keep an eye on with Philly. I know we're, we're sort of looking at what's happening with Josh Richardson out. Maybe he even plays in this game for the Knicks. Alfred Payton, hard watch list. I mean, really watch that game. If you get news he's starting, you could probably pick him up. Phoenix-Houston, 
Uh, ben McLemore on that Houston side. Phoenix, it's mostly just the health of the centers. Otherwise, I think we have a good idea with that team. Memphis, Utah, DeAnthony Melton is a, a watch list guy. They're pretty banged up right now. Brandon Clark, John Morant, both out. And then Utah, uh, relatively straightforward as well. And as we turn to Sunday, I don't... Mm, Brooklyn is on Sunday. Atlanta, ugh, Brooklyn, there's not a whole lot to keep an eye on there. Hawks, Kevin Herter, can he do anything? I'm not a Kevin Herter guy. You guys probably know that from listening to the podcast. But good Lord, they need something on that team. So maybe he ramps himself into a, a, a small, a modicum of value. I'm not banking on it. Can't do it. But watch it. See what happens. Collins won't be out that much longer. If you want to try to stream some centers, have at it. Toronto, I think we've punted on the backups at this point, and I believe that's the entire NBA. So that's what we're looking for over the weekend from these teams. 50 minutes and out, our weekend podcast. Folks, again, sign up for the Bruise Letter before the Monday morning episode comes out, hoop-ball.com slash newsletter, or use the pop-up tab at hoop-ball.com. Please drop a five-star review on the podcast if you have a moment by going to your podcast app or iTunes, searching for Fantasy NBA Today. Click on the show title and then scroll down to the bottom. We'll love you forever. And finally, wanted to make mention that the great Panda has a brand new team coverage article out over at Hoopball. That's right. We have expanded beyond the realms of fantasy. We are into real basketball. And Panda's doing a hell of a job. Why do I bring this up? Well, because if you want to get involved in actual basketball coverage, non-fantasy, we're recruiting on that front as well. Send an email to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Express your interest. Obviously, we're still looking for other contributors as well, things that I've mentioned over the course of the week. Uh, but this is the big clarion call. Now, if you want to cover a team, that's a big deal. I mean, this is like how to become a beat writer. Team Hoopball at hoop-ball.com. By the way, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge sounds like he will play, and Isaiah Thomas sounds like he won't. So this feels like it is a real thing for IT. You can probably stream Ish Smith, and that is my final thought before the weekend. It's weird to go out by saying the following words, but I am Dan Baspris at Dan Baspris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Have a fantastic weekend, and my final words on this weird weekend podcast are stream Ish Smith. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.